This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence. Please take care while listening. Last time on Will Be Wild. I don't see my son. That breaks my heart. I have a hard time talking to Jackson because I get really upset. You know what happens to traitors. Traitors get shot. I mean, from the minute when Trump started talking, he just really spoke to a large group of people. And they were like, explain his organization, the Three Percenters. And I was like, I don't know. Like, he goes in meetings and he travels. And he's been to Mississippi and he's very prominent online, but he's been very prominent in real life, too. I was excited. You know, COVID really had people in a bad place. I'm, that, I'm sure that goes across the board. And he needed an outlet and he found it. I don't know how you feel about this. I watched the tape. I guess it was your body camera. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you would feel about watching it with me and explaining it. Are you up for that? Oh, yeah. All right. Hang on. I'm sitting yet. with Officer Mike Fanone at his dining room table in Virginia. We're looking at his phone, and he's playing me a video. It's from the body camera he was wearing on January 6, 2021, taken a little after 3 p.m. at the Capitol. In the video, you can see Fanon moving through a series of different hallways. That's Jimmy in front of me, and you can see us walking down the corridor. At the time, Fanon worked for the Metropolitan Police Department in Washington, D.C. He was a member of the Vice Squad, working undercover, in plain clothes. On January 6, he was planning to make a heroin bust. But when he started getting alarming phone calls from his fellow cops, he and his partner decided to skip the drug bust— They raced to the precinct, where Fanon went to his locker and ripped the uniform he never wore from its plastic wrapping. Then they headed straight to the Capitol to provide backup. At first, the video mostly shows police officers looking haggard. By now, the fight between protesters and police has been raging for around two hours. There are empty water bottles littering the floor. The cops are using the water to wash the tear gas and bear spray out of their eyes. Fanon finds himself inside a short tunnel that leads to a landing overlooking the mall. So this picks up at the tunnel. So that's like what it was like when you got there. You can see the haze, the CS gas just kind of lingering in the air. You've seen this tunnel before. Presidents and presidents-elect pass through it every four years to a podium on the terrace where they take the oath of office. Now... Thousands of rioters are trying to push their way in, answering Trump's call to march down and fight like hell. They're breaking through police barricades, climbing scaffolding, trying to ram their way through any entrance they can find. Fanon joins the 40 or so police officers fighting off the heaving mass at the mouth of the tunnel. This is you pushing your way up? Yep. Fanon's yelling, who needs a break? And then we walk right back out the double doors. And uh, I'll be honest, I was reassessing my life choices at that point. Behind him, members of Congress have suspended the process of certifying the election of Joe Biden as president. They've just escaped from the House gallery. 
they're hiding in their offices and designated safe rooms. In front of him, there's a mass of rioters, some wearing body armor, some carrying flags and baseball bats, others concealing guns. They're chanting, whose house, our house, and traitors, as they seize police shields and use them like battering rams, pushing into the cops at the mouth of the tunnel. A lot of them had, uh, like, military-style equipment, gas masks, uh, ballistic vests. That's me. I was trying to rally our guys. Like The rioters scream, push, over a shrieking alarm. So then uh, my camera cuts off. It picks up again uh, when I'm out in the crowd. When his camera turns back on, Fanon is surrounded by rioters. Uh, At this point, I'm pulled out. So he yells, I got one. Yep. Fanon has been pulled out of the tunnel by rioters into the crowd. It's hard to make out what happens next. At first, all we can see is a black screen, part of a T-shirt, a hand. Uh, he was, like, trying to grab me, so I was pushing him off me. Just your arms? Yeah. Fanon and I watch together as he's beaten on tape. The crowd is pressed so close around him, he can barely move his arms or legs. And that's when I'm being tased. You hear me screaming. Someone outside the frame holds a taser to the back of Fanon's neck. While he's still screaming, a man looks right into the camera, rips Fanon's badge off his chest, and grabs his radio. Fanon tells me he heard someone in the crowd yell, kill him with his own gun. Fanon thinks, this is how I'm going to die. He thinks of his four daughters and cries out, I've got kids. A fight breaks out among the rioters. So are they arguing? Yeah, they're they're actually guys. I remember like fighting with one another. Some were trying to, you know, some were still beating me and and then others were trying to prevent them. One of them yells to Fanon, I've got you. Another voice right at Fanon's side asks him, where do you want to go? That's really the last thing I remember. Fanon blacks out. In the video, all you can see are the feet and legs of other police officers as he's dragged back inside. His partner tries to revive him. Fanon comes to asking, did we take that door back? They stagger to the hospital. Fanon has suffered a traumatic brain injury from the beating and a heart attack from the tasing. He's just 40 years old. We were fighting for our lives. Every single officer that was there fighting was fighting for his or her life. This was not a traditional law enforcement event. This was combat. The stakes of that fight were unimaginable, Fanon says. They still are. My fear was that the Capitol complex would have been overrun 
and that we would have been looking at like a lengthy hostage takeover at the Capitol building. How close do we come to that? Pretty damn close. I think a hell of a whole lot closer than most people realize. From Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music, this is Will Be Wild. I'm Andrea Bernstein. Chapter 5, The Tunnel. All right, Daniel. Uh, Daniel, do you have a Daniel DJ, or what do you prefer? I guess Danny. Danny, okay. You seem to have a pretty good idea while we're here, right? Um, if you need some tissue or something, just just let me know. Okay, mm. we can we can grab you something. No, no sense of crying. I can't be crying when I did. Three months after the January 6th riot, in a drab room with a long white table, Two FBI agents begin their interrogation of the man who allegedly tased Officer Mike Fanone. His name is Danny Rodriguez. What I wanted to do is kind of just explain what's happening, mm-hmm. kind of help us understand, you know, what happened from, from your perspective, okay? Normally, these conversations are private. But in this case, the tape was made public by a judge after Rodriguez's lawyer released the transcript. We reached out to his lawyer. We didn't receive a response. Just a note, this interview tape is nearly four hours long. We're using just parts of it, and we're playing some of it out of order. Because part of the story of January 6th and the lead-up to it and the aftermath is about fake news and media manipulation, we want you to know we've kept the meaning of what people said intact. If you want to check out the original tape and transcript, you can find that in our show notes. This interrogation is not like the ones you see on TV where the cops slowly squeeze the suspect until some big moment of confession. There's no doubt in the room why Rodriguez is there. But they still question him for hours. The conversation goes around in circles. Special agents Nate Elias and Enrique Armenta try to pin Rodriguez down on specifics. What motivated him and his friends to go to D.C.? How do they prepare? What do they bring? What did they think they were going to accomplish? You know we know all the names. You know we've looked at your phone records, your bank records. So why hold back? Over the course of the interrogation, the agents are rarely combative. They take pains to make Rodriguez feel like they're on his side. Early in the interrogation, they bring up videos that circulated online from the summer of 2020 of Danny Rodriguez at pro-Trump rallies around Los Angeles. In the video, a man using a wheelchair starts to confront a line of cops. Rodriguez yells at him. When I started watching these videos of you and getting the whole picture of, of actually who Danny is, I saw this Danny who stood in between this angry guy and, and a law enforcement officer. So they ask him, how did you go from being that guy to the guy who held a taser to the neck of Officer Michael Fanone, while the crowd around him struck him again and again. How did you get get to that point? What happened in your life? The story he tells the agents reveals a chaotic search for belonging. He lived for stretches in California and Arizona. You know, my whole life, I've been all fucked up police. I really have. 
He has an arrest record riddled with small-time charges for things like possession of marijuana, drug paraphernalia. He joined and left a gang in L.A. Sometimes he didn't have a home. I got involved with some other, some bad people, some gang members, or he's like, not good people. Rodriguez tells the agents about wanting to get out of that life and how he came across the Alex Jones show, Infowars. Jones gave him a way to understand his life, Rodriguez says, and to understand the world. I just saw that there's a there's people that have taken over this country from inside. Mm-hmm. Globalists and unelected officials, elitists, you know, people who are obsessed with power and control. Mm-hmm. And um, if you go to L.A., you see homeless people and then you see a Ferrari or Rolls Royce drive by them. Yeah. I don't think, I, don't, I think this is awful that it's so lopsided and, and, you know, I just like the system, something's wrong. The stuff about globalists running the country is typical Alex Jones' anti-Semitic fodder. But Rodriguez doesn't seem to hear the cynicism in Jones's message. Alex Jones and InfoWars were the ones who kind of put it out there, you know, that there's other news that's not on the TV. Rodriguez tells the agents he started volunteering for the Trump campaign when Jones backed him in 2015. I'm like, all right, man, this is it. I'm going to, I'm going to, this is, I'm going to fight for this. I'm going to do, I want to do this. And, uh, and I, I went to Whittier and I volunteered for the Trump campaign. I did door to door, I did phone calls. I did all these things. And I just, um, I went to the rally that when Trump came to town, we landed in Santa Monica. Rodriguez says he became a regular at pro-Trump rallies. And when Black Lives Matter protests erupted in the summer of 2020, he was out there every chance he could get, counter-protesting, backing the blue. I was at that Beverly Hills Park, and I, I'm telling you, I argue with two, three hundred people, and every single one of them, which is I embarrassed all of them, it was, it was great. Rodriguez says he became attracted to the Three Percenters, the anti-government militia group that takes its name from the inaccurate belief that only 3% of American colonists fought the British in the American Revolution. It's the same group Guy Reffitt belonged to. Rodriguez put a Three Percenter sticker on his car after learning about them from Alex Jones. Which brings us to the 2020 election. When it was called for Joe Biden, a significant portion of Americans refused to accept the results, including Rodriguez. Instead, they believed the lies broadcast by right-wing media, by Republicans in Congress, and by Trump himself, that the election was stolen. You don't have to be that bright to see that it's, it was something wasn't right and it was rigged and there's all these people saying stop the steal. If you spent time on certain channels or internet groups folded into the claims of a fraudulent election, There was a steady drumbeat towards civil war, the need to take up arms in order to save America, to defeat the enemies within the country itself. When did you become convinced that there was going to be like a civil war? Well, it was always looming in the back of our mind. I mean, that's how Rome fell. Rome fell from within, right? Sure. I mean, it was... So it's like now the people in America are being infiltrated and then they're taking it down from within. The claim that the election was fraudulent and Trump's urging his followers to do something about it made the abstract idea of civil war suddenly very real. Rodriguez says he started jogging to get in shape, that he joined a group called Patriots MAGA 45 on the messaging app Telegram. He played paintball with some of the members of the group, he says, to build camaraderie 
But he says they also practiced formations and that a few of them went shooting. How do you get to January 6th? Like, how, what's, what else happens in that period of time? Rodriguez's voice drops to a whisper. Trump called this business team? Tell me about that. How did, how did he let you guys know to come to D.C.? If he's the commander-in-chief and the leader of our country, then he's calling for help. I thought he was calling for help. I thought he was... I thought we were doing the right thing. The FBI agents, Elias and Armenta, pressed Rodriguez on the details of how he traveled to D.C., He went with a group of fellow Trump supporters from L.A., he says. He says they rented a van and drove across the country, picking up someone along the way. Rodriguez says they brought pepper spray, gas masks, and two tasers. There was an idea that if anybody needed to take anything, like weed, maybe knife, um, pepper spray, that stuff's not going to be able to get on the plane. On the morning of January 6, Rodriguez says they left their van behind and took Ubers to Trump's rally outside the White House. Rodriguez says he was there until the end of the speech, the one where Trump told them to fight like hell. So the whole crowd is marching to the Capitol. I just followed the crowd. And then when we got there, it looked like it was there was a ton of people already. With thousands of others, Rodriguez made his way past police barriers surrounding the Capitol. He climbed up the scaffolding, he says, at least what's known as the Lower West Terrace. It's the part, you know, where they do the inauguration, that like the little yep. balcony? And you think that's why we're, you're here today? It's because you climbed the scaffolding? You know, you, you, know, you guys kind of told me that I assaulted an officer. Do you want to talk about that? Because I, I tell you what, everybody else is going to talk about that. Yeah, I'm pretty ashamed. But here's your opportunity to tell us your story. My story is just that we thought that we were going to save America. After Rodriguez climbed up onto the terrace, he joined the crush of bodies in the tunnel, pushing against the line of police officers defending the Capitol. The officers had shields and like they were on a, I don't know how deep that, I don't know how many of them there were and that they could hold us back, but there was so much patriot, like there were so many people pushing on me yeah. that I don't know, that I was, I was getting my lungs crushed so I yeah. couldn't breathe. So that, I don't know how they were able to hold us back, yeah. but that's when I got out of there. Rodriguez says he caught his breath for a while and then headed back into the fray. And then you went back up the steps? I went back up the steps and they were, they were pulling someone out. And I didn't know what, who they were pulling out. I thought it was one of the, the Trump supporters they were pulling out. And then I saw who it was. It was a, some kind of an officer. We'll be right back. Went back up the steps and they were they were pulling someone out. 
and I didn't know what who they were pulling out. I thought it was one of the, the Trump supporters they were pulling out. And then I saw who it was. Kind of officer. officer Mike Fanone. Seconds later, he'll be on the ground, fending off blows, his badge and radio torn away at the mercy of the mob. Fanone comes from a family of police officers, but he didn't always want to be one. I'm sure it was a part of my early childhood aspirations, but I had kind of a like a rocky teenage years. So I don't really think I had any direction at that time. I ended up dropping out of high school. He eventually went back, got a diploma, and worked a job in construction until the morning of September 11th, 2001, when he made the decision to change his life. Chasing bad guys, locking people up for guns, drugs. I realized, like, that was what I wanted to do. He joined the Metropolitan Police Department, then pretty quickly moved to the vice squad. He loved working undercover, cultivating sources busting people for drugs. It's during this time that his thoughts about good guys and bad guys get a little more complicated. I just interacted with so many people that, uh, you know, kind of had like a shitty deal in life. You start to just see the humanity in everybody, whether they're slinging drugs or, you know, not that there's not evil in the world. There certainly is. But I think, you know, most of the people that I came across just got a shit deal. I talked for a while with Fanon about the Black Lives Matter protests in the summer of 2020. How did that impact you when that was going on and people were saying, like, defund the police? And... Oh, I mean, it was incredibly difficult. You know, at that time, it felt like a culmination of maybe four or five years of an assault on law enforcement. Fanon told me he felt like his buddies who policed the BLM protests were attacked just for showing up. His former partner in Vice had a Molotov cocktail thrown into his police cruiser, Fanon says. But he was okay. And there was lots of stories of officers, you know, having bricks hurled at them and just being violently attacked. He saw these protesters and their message to defund the police as a kind of existential threat to law enforcement. This is his worldview. Until the moment he came to the double doors of the tunnel. And at that point, just kind of like the panoramic view opens up and I can see this mass of people with flags and all types of like political paraphernalia. And it was at that point that I remember seeing a bunch of different types of flags, but thin blue line flags specifically. A few minutes later, Fanon's life would be forever altered by Danny Rodriguez, a man who'd spent much of the last few years shouting about the importance of backing the blue. For a lot of Danny Rodriguez's interrogation, the agents expressed empathy, gently egging him on to say more. But now, when they get to the moment when they ask him about tasing a cop, their tone changes. Why did you taser him? You said he was struggling. I just kind At that of, point, he's struggling to be let let go. Yeah. And you chose to assault him while he's struggling? Well, I just felt that, like, I didn't know what they were going to do to him. And so you tasered him to protect him? Not, not, I mean, that sounds stupid. 
I don't know if I pray to tase him to protect him, but maybe just to like, so he wouldn't struggle and get hurt, maybe. If they're gonna beat him up or injure him, or like, I don't know if they're gonna, what, I don't know what was gonna happen to him. And honestly, I didn't think very much about it because when I did it, I was like, oh my God, what did I just do? And I got out of there. I left, I did it and I left. They don't even pretend to accept his excuses anymore. The disparity between what you're saying happened describing, oh, I'm, I'm such a benevolent man, a poor officer who's struggling to keep him to, to survive, thinking he's going to die. Let me help him out. Let me taser him. Is that really the story you want to be written about you? Is that in all of my benevolence, I decided I was going to taser this man who was struggling for his life in that moment and thinking he's going to die. Four daughters. No, I wasn't trying to kill him. I didn't want him to die. The agents tell Rodriguez he'll help his case if he tells the truth. Danny, you understand how serious this is, right? You understand that you're the one facing, like, uh, full full disclosure, all the cards out on the table. Uh, you're looking at seven federal felony counts. What is that, the rest of my life in prison? It's a lot of years, man. So... If you're not completely honest with me, because you're not being honest with us. I am being honest. Neither Agent Armenta or myself feel confident in what you're saying. Okay. What, 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 what do you want me to tell you? That I, I taste them? Yes. Explain. I mean, explain. Am I, am what, I a fucking piece of shit? Yes. Why did you taste them? I don't know. I'm a piece of shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. He's a, he's a human being with children. And he's, 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 he's not a bad guy, he sounds like. He's just doing his job, and, and he's, I'm an asshole. It's possible to hear this as, the man's in trouble, of course he's crying. He's putting on an act. But there's a part of me that wants to believe that he feels remorse. But why? Am I mental? Am I, am I just that stupid? I mean, yes. Listen, Danny, I, th- I think you just made some bad choices, man. <laughs> did we all, did, did we all really just, are we all that stupid that we thought we were going to go do this and save the country and it was all going to be fine after? We, we really thought that. That's all stupid, huh? Now the agents seem to shift tactics again, softening their approach to understand his motivation. Listen, I, you needed a cause. You needed a cause and you found a cause and it, Listen, that cause has a lot of good things about it. Being a patriot's a great thing. Oh my God, if we're looking, we're supporting the Constitution's wrong. a great thing. But listen, you know, people make mistakes. Entering the Capitol on January 6th, that was a, that was a mistake. That was a bad choice. Tasering Officer Fanon, that was a really bad choice too. I just thought that we were going to end up on the right side. We we're going to end up on the right side, and and we were <clears throat> we had to we we had to get in there, and these the cops were stopping us. This reminds me a lot of the conversation I had with Elizabeth Newman back in episode three about the work she did in her early years at the Bush White House, focusing on how Osama bin Laden recruited jihadists. His message was powerful, Newman said, because these men were so lost. That's what made them so susceptible to disinformation. And once they believed they were on the side of righteousness, 
It was a small step to believing that violence against anyone trying to stop them is not just okay, but justified. That's what I hear when Danny Rodriguez talks about the patriots who stormed the Capitol being on the right side. So when Fanon is pleading for his life, saying, I've got kids, Rodriguez doesn't see him that way. Now, he's just the enemy. I thought that we were going to save this. I thought we were going to do something. I thought that it was not going to happen like that. We thought we were being a, we were a part of a bigger thing. We thought we were being used as a part of a plan to save the country, to save America, to save mm-hmm. the Constitution and 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 and, and, and the, the, the the election, the integrity. Like the ends justify the means kind of thing. Is that what you're saying? We, yeah, so we thought it was okay to do something wrong or illegal. Yeah, it's like they thought that, that, like they, they cheated with Trump and they did all the elections. They're like, oh, Trump is so bad. Where anything is okay. You were prepared to give up your life to prevent him from being president. No, to save the country. So you thought you were going to martyr yourself for <laughs> for the cause of the country? I'm so stupid. Is that is that what? I I didn't. No, I'm not. I don't have a death wish. I don't want to die. I don't want to. Well, there's difference from having a death wish than than being willing to die for a cause, right? I don't want to die for... I don't want to die at all. But you did want to die for the cause at one point. You just told us that... I was willing to. I didn't want to. Right. I was was prepared that that was a a possibility, Mm -hmm. but... Clearly, I don't. I, I I like my life. I like my freedom and my life. I don't want to. I didn't go there to die. I could have died this morning. I could have not come out of the room. When you were fighting with Officer Fanon, did you think that that might be that you might be in that moment where this might be the the real deal? This might be the the real thing for the cause here. This might be that turning point for the. Well, yeah. Yeah. I thought that that's what was happening. I thought that we were making it happen. I thought we were. We were saving the democracy and the election and... Because, like, honestly... I didn't go planning to murder anybody. I'm not saying that. But I knew that it was a possibility that... There could be casualties. There could be casualties. That, like, if this was another Civil War, this was another 1776, another 4th of July or something, that that could be a possibility. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Officer Fanon was just a casualty. Danny Rodriguez was indicted in November of 2021 on charges, among other things, of assaulting a federal officer with a dangerous weapon. He's pleaded not guilty. He faces decades in prison. There's a lot of emotions when you get involved, when when you feel like you're fighting evil. And, uh, you have a lot of um, fire that gets lit inside you. You can only like take so much before you start to like feel responsible for not doing something. On January 6th, did you feel it was your responsibility I did. to go there? I did. I, <laughs> I did. I thought that, yes. I don't know, I just didn't think I didn't think it was going to turn out like this. I thought the good, I felt who I thought the good guys were, were the good guys were going to win. I thought I was a good guy. Wanted to be a good guy. A far-right media machine manipulated Danny Rodriguez into thinking he was a good guy. 
that same machine has managed to paint Mike Fanone as the villain. Well over a year after January 6th, Fanon's story has become its own right-wing conspiracy theory. After he testified to Congress in July of 2021, Laura Ingram sarcastically awarded him, quote, best performance in an action role. Fox contributor Julie Kelly called him a crisis actor. You know, people like Laura Ingram and Tucker Carlson, like, they have to do something with me. They have to address it. And the only way to do it is to uh, disparage me. If you notice, like, none of those people attack anything factual about what happened to me that day. And the reason for that is because it actually happened. And it's on fucking videotape. Fanon sat with me one more time in March of 2022. And they essentially called me a pussy, made fun of me for, you know, becoming emotional, talking about, like, the literally the most devastating moment of my life. And, uh... Seeing all of my friends, colleagues walk away, losing my career. We met near CNN, where Fanon took a job after he quit the MPD in December 2021. He says he no longer felt supported by his fellow cops. Some of them had fallen for the disinformation they'd heard on right-wing media. Others just wanted to move on, and Fanon was a constant reminder of what happened that day. It just must be so painful. To have nearly lost your life trying to defend lawmakers, defend your fellow cops, and then have that be the aftermath. Yeah, I mean, I struggle with it every single day. You know, when I left the police department and took a job working as a a contributor, like a law enforcement analyst with CNN, I think that um, most people... We're like, oh, you know, Mike's probably making millions of dollars, sitting pretty, life is good. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Fanon says the more he spoke out publicly, the more he lost. He gave up a career that meant a lot to him when he left the police department, and friends he thought would support him started to disappear. I asked him about Danny Rodriguez and his interrogation. I want him to be held accountable. But, you know, what I saw in uh, Danny Rodriguez was just a guy, you know, by his own admission, just kind of a loser, drifter, looking for uh, some place to fit in. And after numerous failed attempts at other, you know, loser ventures, he uh, fell in with the, the MAGA crowd and, you know, ended up on the Capitol. And, you know, I think that His actions that day are um, representative of the most dangerous aspects of mob mentality, that it can drive people to commit acts that they may not have otherwise even comprehended themselves capable of. Fanon holds much more contempt for the man who urged Rodriguez and the others to march to the Capitol that day than for the rioters themselves. You know, you had a person of authority in the former president of the United States who was perpetrating this lie that his election had been stolen from him. He says he voted for Trump himself back in 2016. He understands how easy it is to be taken in by him. I guess originally 
I was amused by his antics. I thought it was refreshing. I'm not a big fan of politicians, and watching them squirm when he was in the room was, uh, you know, that was funny to me. I thought it would go away. I thought that eventually people around him would get him, I don't know, under control. And then uh, it was clear to me that that was not going to happen. Fanon says he's reminded of that feeling, his own feeling of being had, when he thinks about Danny Rodriguez. There's, like, people that are fundamentally good, they do bad things. You know, I don't know Danny Rodriguez. I've never met the man before. I've seen how he described himself, and all I can say is that uh, anybody that is capable of remorse, and what I believe was genuine remorse, and that just, you know, I can't tell you why other than the fact that uh, I've conducted probably about a thousand custodial, non-custodial interviews. I think my bullshit meter is good. At least from what I could see, he's come to terms with the fact that he got bamboozled. And that's, that's a horrible, horrible feeling. And I think that he was genuinely sorry. I think there's variety of motivations there. But to me, he seems like a good guy that did dumb shit. Trump's not like that, Fanon says. I believe that Donald Trump is a, um, an evil person. He's not a good person that does bad things. He's a bad person that does evil things. That doesn't mean Danny Rodriguez and all the other rioters shouldn't be held accountable, Fanon says. They might seem small and hapless, easily manipulated by Trump, but their actions add up. Okay, like uh, a lot has been made of the fact that Trump's army was a bunch of idiots. Well, that's just true. But there were 15,000 of them. And that became an incredibly destructive force. And it injured a lot of police officers, devastated a lot of lives, you know, ruined many. I mean, absolutely ruined people's lives. When I interviewed Fanon the first time, there was a book on his dining room table called Waking the Tiger, Healing Trauma. Fanon read a bit of it to me. It says, trauma resolved is a great gift, returning us to the natural world of ebb and flow, harmony, love, and compassion. That really has become like my, I don't know, like mantra post January 6th. I see like what happened to me and then everything that that's brought into my life since then as a real gift. I see. A gift why? Can you explain that? I mean, because like I was, I was very much caught up in a lot of the uh, tribalization in the country, like prior to January 6th, I think like, you know, I just saw how it made me an angry person, a lot of my coworkers angry, friends and family members angry. You know, regardless of what side of the political aisle you sat on, like anger was the predominant emotion felt by most people in this country. And I saw that as really being the most significant contributing factor to January 6th. I realize now, like, 
where all that anger and tribalism got us, it got us January 6th. And, you know, we really need to, like, as a country, re-embrace compassion and empathy in our interactions with one another. I'm wondering how you feel about that now. Yeah. In a lot of ways that it still rings true with me when it comes to the day itself, January 6th, the physical injuries that I sustained, like my performance that day and the performance of the other officers in the tunnel with me. Like I have reconciled that within myself. I'm proud of what I did that day. I know what I did that day. Where my optimism has taken a turn is that uh, I still was very optimistic at that point that that we could change as a country. And, um, you know, unfortunately, I think things have just gotten worse. Next time, we'll follow one lie that led Danny Rodriguez to January 6th. Election officials pull boxes, Democrats, and suitcases of ballots out from under a table. You all saw it on television. Totally fraudulent. And when they said that Joe Biden won the election, and I saw a lot of video footage of them, like, stealing... Like, the pulling suitcases them. underneath the, the yeah, table. And, yeah. and we'll meet the man who tried to stop the lie before it caught fire. We were looking for ways to communicate with the American people uh, about mis- and disinformation that both resonated, was understandable and digestible. Whether you want to call me a swamp creature or whatever, not that you did, but you know, I've, I've been here as a career and in and around the national security apparatus. That guy is a class A moron. He should be drawn and quartered, taken out at dawn and shot. Will Be Wild is a production of Pineapple Street Studios, Wondery, and Amazon Music. It's hosted by me, Andrea Bernstein, and Ilya Maritz. Our senior producer is Kat Aaron. Our producer reporters are Christine Driscoll and Alice Wilder. Our associate producer is Marie-Alexa Cavanaugh. Our editors are Maddie Sprung-Kaiser and Joel Lovell. Fact-checking by Jane Drinkert. Our sound designer is Hannes Brown, who also composed the original music. Pineapple's head of engineering is Raj Makija. Legal services for Pineapple Street by Bianca Grimshaw at Granderson Des Rochers. Legal review also provided by Katie Ali Mohammadi Crown and Sarah Schwartzman at Donaldson Califf Perez. Jenna Weisberman and Max Linsky are the executive producers at Pineapple Street with support on Will Be Wild from Maddie Sprung Kaiser. From Amazon Music and Wondery, our managing producer is Candace Manricus Wren. Senior producer is Eliza Mills, and executive producers are Morgan Jones, Marshall Louie, and Aaron O'Flaherty. Special thanks this episode to Andrea Lewis, Don Lemon, Ryan Riley, and Forrest Rogers. 